0: singing. You
1: may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dewey. Take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No notes, no overheads, no PowerPoints, though there will be some verses tonight. There will be some verses on the overhead. It's like the old days. Back when we used to meet in the basement of the Cardome, it's just us. And we grew from that, so I know it's effective, but uh, everybody's used to seeing things on the board or have things in your hand that you can take notes with, but uh, I think it's a good thing for us as we look at who are we, or answer the question, "Who are we?" And we're speaking in particular, who are we as a church? Uh, Who are we as a church? Well, we look here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, we'll pick up our reading in verse number 9, and tonight we're going to answer by saying we are a building. Last week we talked about being a body, this week we're talking about being a a building, next week we're going to talk about being a bride, and the week following as a church we're going to say that we are a blessing. And So look with me here in 1 Corinthians 3 and in verse 9, the Bible says, For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. This is a direct reference or indication to the church that is there. Verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he, you could ladies say she as well, buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? and that the spirit of god dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of god, him shall god destroy: for the temple of god is holy, which temple ye are. Father, i thank you for this evening, and the time that we can gather and look at ourselves as a building, an inanimate object, but a structure with purpose. And so i pray that you'll help us to see that this evening. Help us to see what we do or function as a unit. A building is not just its door, it's not just its ceiling tiles or its light or its air conditioning or flooring or seating. A building is the whole package, it's all of it together. So I pray that you'll help us to see that this evening. Bless us tonight as we look into your word, find truth, and apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We gave our first answer last week to the question of who are we, and we answered by saying we are a a body. In fact, we are the body of Christ presently acting in this world. We are the hands, we are the feet, we are the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking and working and doing the things that if He were here physically in Georgetown, Kentucky, He would be doing. That's who we are. We are a body. We noted that within that body, each believer has a fit, a form, and a function. So if we are a body, then how can we also be a building? And the answer is because God deemed it that way, and God describes us that way. The tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament were foreshadowing of God's indwelling presence. They gave a picture that if we came in right worship before Him, in that coming before Him, God in that place would come in His fullness, or the fullness of His Shekinah glory would rest upon a place. At the completion of the tabernacle, for Moses, then again for Solomon, at the completion of the temple, God's Shekinah glory rested upon those holy or most holy places. In fact, the interesting story from Second Chronicles, when Solomon completed the temple, it wasn't just, it seems, the most holy place, but the whole entry into where the showbread was, the outer area, the holy place itself, not the most holy, but the first entrance into the holy, even that the priests and the Levites could not go into. It's a wonderful statement or a truth given to us in the filling of that temple. God's Shekinah glory rested upon those locations. That is what happens individually for us when we get saved. God's glory, the presence of His Holy Spirit, comes in to indwell us. We read that specifically in our passage this evening down in verse number 16, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. He's asking the rhetorical question, you should know this. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. His Shekinah glory is in you, and it should radiate from you the glory of God. And while this is true and happens individually, it also happens corporately, both the indwelling and filling of God the Holy Spirit on us, a church. That indwelling of God comes today by way of salvation, we know. The Holy Spirit indwells us, indwells the believer. But there is a real biblical truth in which the spirit-filling of believers who are the body causes Him to indwell our corporate gatherings as well. When you come into church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, You need to understand that it's not just your personal indwelling and then personal filling with the Spirit that's important, but as you come into this place, you should come prepared to bring with you your portion of the Spirit's filling into this corporate gathering. Now, some of you stop and might think, oh, uh, some of our charismatic friends go far too far with that, Pastor, and I would argue they do unscripturally. But it does not mean that there is a wrong principle in the fact that the Spirit of God should be in this place when the preaching of the Word of God happens. And in that, we are His building. We house the very glory of God on this earth. It is in that corporate gathering that we are then a building. Together, we are interconnected and dependent upon each other. This is Paul's point in our text this evening in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. He begins the chapter with the carnal Christians at Corinth by telling them, Hey, listen, it doesn't matter whose camp you're in. You're in the church, and the church is God's husbandry. The church is God's building. He is building it, and it serves a function, a purpose for His glory. So we might say rightly, we are building something together for God's glory because we are the place where God's glory is seen on this earth. Now, I would tell you that God sees, or, or mankind, excuse me, sees God's glory in your daily living. You individually, where you work, where you live, where you have your conduct of life. The Bible says your conversation. But when we come together, what happens here on Sunday morning, what happens here on Sunday night, and what happens here on Wednesday night is not something we just throw together on a shoestring, a wing, or a prayer. What we do when we come together is that we are recognizing that each of you as Spirit-filled people are coming here to have the Shekinah glory shine out to the world. That's why we're attractive to visitors. Now, let me qualify. You aren't attractive to visitors. I'm not attractive to visitors. But people that walk in this place Sunday morning after Sunday evening after Wednesday evening, week after week, month after month, just like when you came and you were attracted to this place, it's because there's something different here. It's the preaching. It's not the preaching. It's the singing. It's not the singing. It's the praying and the fellowship and the camaraderie. It's not any one of those things. It's all of those things together through the Spirit's filling and indwelling. It is His presence in us. We are a building. And so with that context, we understand we are a building, and number one in our notes, oh wait, you don't have any. It's a building that must be stable. Do you know why I didn't give them out this go round? One, it's Sunday night, and we're now more and more of our edification mode, especially. It's so that I can preach freely. And you say, oh, you can't on these Sunday mornings? No, I can on the Sunday mornings. Edward and them are probably laughing. I think literally like you read my notes. It's categorical, and it's all alliterated down the the list. So if I say, one, that's we're stable, and two, tonight, that we're something else, they're all going to be S's, I promise you. But if we don't get to number three, you'll never know, and I will. All right? We're stable. We're a building that's stable. You know what? This building, I remember when we built it, it was fascinating. These pillars over here, and I don't know the folks, if you're at home and watching on YouTube, and we had 16 families watching from this morning, uh, you, you may not see me back here. But do you know what these pillars are? We've talked about this a little bit in Bluegrass 101, right? Paul tells us and tells Timothy that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. But do you know what these pillars do? There's one here, there's one there, uh, there's one at the end of the building, there's one in the classroom beyond, and then there's one on the far end of the building. Do you know what the pillars on this side do? They bear weight. What else do they do? Thank you. Somebody, Somebody had to say it. They hold up the roof. But do you know what they have on the opposite side of the building? Pillars. And if you were to clear out all of this, this is what they call a clear span building. That, that uh, leg, you can tell I'm really fancy in all my terms. It's got an A, I can't remember what it is. That stanchion, that pylon, that whatever. It goes up and then it curves probably at about a 20 degree angle until it meets at the top and there are these bolts that go in there and when they were building this place, I would come out every day. I would drive down from where the white block building is where we were meeting and I'd drive down here nearly every day. I would make the super so mad because I'd come out and walk around and he said, man, I got subs that are working, Kyle. I said, I know, but this is fascinating. This is God's handiwork. This is the structural building. You are the spiritual building. But do you know what that leg has deep down underneath it? It has footings in fact in my office that pylon in my office that leg whatever it is that pillar that comes down if you were here when they were putting the flowable fill that reaches down to the hard rock down below all of our foundation and our dirt out here where they put that concrete flowable fill all the way down to that in that pillar to get down to that level it's eight feet deep of concrete that's two foot by two foot wide might be bigger than two foot by two foot, but I think it's two by two, and it comes all the way up eight feet. I remember having a picture taken of me down in that hole and hoping that they would help me get back out of that hole. When you start thinking about a building and its stability, the key element in every building is that it is stable. None of you walked in this evening and said, man, I hope that roof doesn't fall in on me. This building is stable. It's well built. Our church as a spiritual building is no different. Stability begins, letter A, with the foundation. Some of you are taking notes. I see your pens out, so I can't help myself. I can't help myself. Luke chapter 20, verses 17 through 18, the Bible says, And he beheld them and said, Jesus speaking, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. What is Jesus saying in that first verse, verse number 17? He is the head of the corner. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the one that holds or bears the most weight because he's the foundation of the church. Later in Acts chapter 4 in verses 10 and 11, Peter is addressing the Sanhedrin after being threatened to stop preach or being told to stop preaching as to why he healed someone, uh, the man uh, that he... Uh, healed on the Sabbath day, who was begging alms of him, the Sanhedrin says to him, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Here's what he says to them in verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This "...is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner." In other words, Jesus Christ is what it's all about. The stability of our spiritual building here is not upon me or my opinions. It's upon Jesus Christ alone. That's our stability. That's our foundation. Later, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, said this in Ephesians 2, verse 19, "...now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints." And of the household of God. He pivots from the family relationship and moves into the building relationship. He says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom, in that chief cornerstone, that foundation, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. How is this spiritual building built? It's built first in stability with a foundation that is unmovable. It's unshakable. Notice it is, he says in Ephesians 2, it is the apostles and prophets. But Jesus Christ is what they're writing about. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation of our spiritual building together as a family and as a body. What the prophets saw coming and foretold as truth about Jesus, the apostles then witnessed and verified about Jesus as being actually true. That is the foundation which creates stability for us. It's what caused Peter to later write this in 1 Peter 2 and verse 6. Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. That's stability, my friend. There's no instability, he says in that verse. If you are built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ alone, there's no moving that church. It will be secure. It will be settled. There's no instability or confounding those who believe on Jesus. That's a pretty solid foundation. What is the effect of Jesus Christ's ministry to mankind? Not the purpose. Now, I understand what the purpose is. It was to seek and to save that which was lost. I mean the effect. The answer is the effect of Christ is a quiet and peaceable life. If Jesus Christ had never come, our race would never be able to live truly a quiet and peaceable life. But we can, and as a body of believers, we ought to live a quiet and peaceable life because we have stability. We have a foundation that doesn't move. The light shines in darkness, the truth is set against the lies of the world, our flesh and the devil. It is an unshakable foundation, the person of Jesus Christ. The foundation then gives way to the framing. They had to pour those footers and they had to pour those piers before they could take those big bolts and put those uh, uh, nuts on top of them and they were big. I mean, I remember the one guy, he was working it when it was down, and I said, really? Because I always thought you would just use a tool, but man, those bolts were big that hold that thing in if you go down to the bottom. Of, and they would grab onto the end of that, and they would turn, and they would turn, and they would turn, and they would get those bolts down so that those legs will never move. I mean, I guess a bulldozer could hit them and move them, but they're not moving. It is from then that the structure starts to take place. The stability of the foundation gives way to the stability of the framing. Now, when I was a kid, and I mean when I finished college and I was beginning to do my work in this life in the secular field, at one point I decided, I don't know if my parents were in agreement, but they allowed it, to move into their basement. And I said to my dad, don't worry, dad. I mean, the house that they had bought at that time had a bar and a dance floor down in the basement. And I said, I can live down there. And he said, no, no, we got to change it from a bar to a dance floor if I'm going to let you live down there. <laughs> it was dry. There was nothing in the bar. But anyway, the point is, he said to me, what are you planning to do? I said, well, I'm going to put up some walls. I'm going to frame those walls. Can I tell you what? Those walls were not on 90 degrees. I mean, Dad can t- attest that they were close to 90 degrees. But they weren't exactly 90 degrees. Now, I will say, Jason can bear witness to this, through the years of all the remodels, and if you were at the church years ago in the Oser building, we would blow out a wall and reframe a wall. Uh, Bob Graham used to say, you get tired of the way the church looks at bluegrass, just stick around for a while and we'll change it. Pastor hasn't seen a wall, he won't take down. That's what Bob used to say. And that's true. It was absolutely true then. It is true today. I've learned better how to frame a wall. But man, you don't want a crooked wall. You want a wall framed correctly. And when God is building a spiritual building, he lays the foundation correctly, but then he begins to form or frame it in the way that it ought to be framed, in the way that it ought to be built. All of the imagery here of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that of the framing or the fit up of the building that is done in every part. Everyone is key to the success of our stability then, you might say. Every part of this building. Now, this is where the building and the body sound very similar. Last, week's we, last week we said that as a body, every member is critical and every member is placed into the body by Jesus Christ. Here in Ephesians 2, in verse 19, if you recall, the Bible says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. The example could be drawn forward in our minds then of how we understand this. God in you frames up the building that he wants here. It's no different than in Nehemiah's day when they went to build the walls. If you read Nehemiah and you come to Nehemiah chapter 4, it's one of the great Bible chapters. It's also one of the great boring Bible chapters. This family built this part of the wall, and they reared it up. This family built it, and they just, this family after this. But what does it do from verse 1 to the end of that chapter? It just tells us that every family did their part in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem for God's glory. Brought into the spiritual understanding of us as a church, as the spiritual building, your family is as important to the success of this place as mine is. He said, Well, you're just saying that because you're preaching. I believe that. I've believed it from the day I planted this church. This body, this building, is only as strong as our weakest family. In Nehemiah's day, if people weren't doing their work on that wall, the work was not done, and the whole of the people were compromised. In other words, it's not okay for you to take a two, three, or five-year vacation from God as a member family of this church. That's not healthy for us. It doesn't make our building very stable, we might say. The strength of the city in Nehemiah's day depended upon each family doing their part. So it is in our day. This is very much the case with the spiritual building that is our church. God has equipped you and your home to be framed and fitly framed into your place within this body. Praise God for that. What a joy that is to know. You have purpose. Not just in salvation, but in this building. This spiritual building that is called the church. God frames together His church to make the kind of structure that He desires The kind of structure that he will use. When God frames the building, buddy, you can count on it, that building is stable. It's not going anywhere. Now, there's a lot of churches that men build. But when God builds the church, that building will, number two, if you're taking notes, stand. (laughs) That which is stable will also stand. The building, of course, if it's built right, will stand, but by standing I mean also that it will have a proper standing before God and men. I didn't fully understand this word of something having standing or standing in the sense that people can reflect and look upon it until I moved back home here to Kentucky. And then I realized when I run commercials or I hear things during sporting events that this horse is outstanding at this farm. Well, what it means is that's where it's at. (laughs) And if you want to go see it or if you want to have the pay the fee to make sure you're part of that horse's lineage or have uh, little ponies come out from it, I don't know the right word, but if you want to have that done, then you better go where it's standing, okay? I always laugh when I try to get into what animals are born. Ken and Lauren always laugh at me. Uh, at that. The ponies that come out of those things, whatevers, they have standing. Think of it in this sense. When people drive by our building, if they were like bullet holes in the door and there were shingles missing and there were tiles falling off and and the hardy boards out here had been, one was drooping down, people would drive by and go, boy, that's a terrible church. Why? Because the building is in bad standing. That's what I mean by it. God has a master plan for our church, and by the way, Paul tells us here, in verse number 10, that part of God's plan includes He, God, setting a master builder, that is a superintendent, in place to accomplish His plan. By the way, who is the master builder presently of this church, of this building? I hold that role. Paul, in dealing with this, has told them in the earlier verses that Apollos and Cephas or Peter and Paul himself were all part of laying pieces or master building or working within this structure. And the point is, as we understand it then, right now, I'm the master builder. But you know what? I may not always be the master builder. There's going to be somebody that comes after me and pastors this place. Will you stay here? Well, I don't know. Depends on what kind of person it is. That's the right answer. But if it's a person after God's heart and building in a masterful way according to the Word of God, you ought to. That does not mean, then, that the church just does what a pastor wishes. That's not what it means that Paul was the master builder. It means he followed the plan. (laughs) He understood what God was building in his church, and that building of the church had to have proper standing in the eyes of God and before men. The pastor must do what the Lord wishes. And my responsibility as a pastor is to ensure that this place has good standing with God and before man. The phrasing of Paul in this passage tells us two truths about our standing as the Lord's building. First, it has standing by its design. Again, this is a very easy message for me to preach because we are physically, tangibly in what is our structural building. But we're not preaching about the structure tonight. We're preaching about the spiritual building. But here's the point. Most people, when we started designing this building and laying out the architectural plans, most people looked at this and said, it's a box. I mean, it's, it's just a big square. I mean, has anybody else noticed that? Am I the only one that noticed that? Right, okay, some of you are honest in here. Thank you. You learned this morning about truth, right? Truth and honesty. Yeah, it's just a big square. You say, did you mean it for it to be ugly? No, there's a lot of reasons why we went with a big square. Uh, I don't think it's perhaps or per- so ugly. I think we've prettied it up in the best ways that we can. But no, it's not your classic red brick church with the nice front steps leading up to it where the pastor can stand out front and shake hands all day as people are coming and going. I mean, it doesn't have that standing. But this church as a spiritual building does. That's what's attractive. When we say that it has standing, it is by design, and it's by His design. The Bible tells us here that we, as builders, in verse at the end of verse 10, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. What are we building upon? Well, we're building upon the stable foundation, and we better be building by His design. We better make sure that this building stands as God wants it to stand in the spiritual sense. God has a design for what he wants in his church to do in this world, to spread the good news, to share the love of Christ with the household of faith first and then with the rest of the world. There is a design that God has as this church is built for his glory. What will it become? I don't know. We've had conversations in leadership and different leadership meetings over the years. Do we grow to be a church of a thousand and then start satellite ministries? I don't know. But I know this, you don't want somebody driving routinely, from over an hour away regularly to be a member of this church. What you have to do then is realize that there needs to be a church plant there. And so we've always, from the beginning, known outside of about a 25-mile circle from where this church is located, we'll probably, once we get 8 to 10 families, look to plant the church, and to plant the church, and to plant the church, and to plant the church. Why? Because that's what God's called us to do. When the church at Jerusalem got too big as a building, God brought persecution so that they would go everywhere preaching the gospel. That's what it says they did in Romans or Acts chapter 8, excuse me. There is a design that God has for this place. The point is at present we're continuing to build it according to his design, but there's also durability. A second thought on the standing is it has durability. Paul wants our works to last. In fact, that is the pivot in verse number 12. By the way, this is a passage often used of your individual rewards for your individual faithfulness and stewardship. And that is absolutely right. But make no mistake, the context, the particular context of this is how you build your life of works within the body or building of the church. Oh, well, I I thought it was just my own Personal, spiritual rewards. Oh, you have spiritual rewards that are coming to you. But the context of this passage particularly is that we are a building. We are a church. And as a church, what you're building in your individual lives brings reward to you. But it also brings reward to the whole body. The whole building. It has durability. And so he says to them, hey, if any man, verse 12, build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble. He's saying, here are the types of materials you can use. Every time I read verse 12, I always think of the little story of the three little pigs. Made his out of wood, made his out of hay. Made his out of brick. That would be the gold, precious stone, gold, silver, and precious stone. The point is, every man's work, verse 13, shall be made obvious, manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, again, that phrase, built thereon, is upon the foundation of Jesus Christ within the building that is the church. But I think that refers to just me. It is just you, but it's just you as a part of this building. That's the context of this passage. You can't just take verses out of their contextual meaning. It's bad hermeneutics. It's a bad way to study the Bible. Your rewards in heaven will reflect on the rest of us that are part of this building. That's powerful and deep. Paul wants our works to last and be rewarded, but that also means a church full of people doing rewarding works, that that church full of rewarding individuals will stand as a beacon for God's glory. Look, if all of us understand that we are living to be rewarded by God doing works that are gold, silver, and precious stone on this earth, and that's the material that we're bringing to the spiritual building, can I tell you something? The world outside will want what we have. That's why it's important we understand what kind of building we are. That is God's desire for His church to last. It doesn't mean that it cannot be demolished, the church, spiritually, it can. But his design for this place is to live according to verses 12 through 15, you and I working and being careful as we do so to be mindful that I individually individually will be rewarded, but what I'm building is the church itself for God's glory. If you build a church on a man, whether it's his personality, whether it's his passion, even if it's his preaching style... That church will not last. When I planted bluegrass, for probably the first three to five years, I did a deep study. I mean, we weren't running but 30 or 40 people, but I did a long study, had lots of conversations. In fact, I think one time Brother Graham and I went to a lunch or a breakfast and we were talking. I said, do you think in all your years that God blesses a man or God blesses a ministry? And now, 14 and a half years in, I think the answer is yes. Yes. He, he blesses men and women who are part of his ministry and work, the building, the church. Because I, I, the reason I went through that process is because I would look at great servants of God who led wonderful ministries, and then they would leave and the church would fall apart, and I couldn't figure out why. Why? And I never want that to be the case for bluegrass. So if it's built upon me, then my early days, I thought, well, I'll just be here five to seven years and I'm leaving because I want the church to last and I want to be able to continue to do stuff for God's glory. Now, God has revealed you can do both, just don't build it on you. By the way, it's not just the preposition on a man. You could also say if you build a church for a man, it will fail. And that's what the Bible calls people who heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're building it for men. I, I want this church to please me. Can't do it. It's not going to be a successful building. If a pastor leads people to build upon Jesus Christ and Christ alone, then it will last. The seven churches that you can read about in Revelations 2 and 3 are examples of churches who had lost their standing. In fact, they lost their candlestick and were ready to be demoed by their Savior and head, Jesus Christ. That's what he was ready to do. I'll take it away. And we've seen churches that have had Ichabod written across the mantle of her doors. We are a building which is stable. We are a building which has standing. And finally, we are a building that is serviceable. See, I told you I have notes. By serviceable, I just mean effectively usable. usable. You know, um, where my parents grew up in Portsmouth, Ohio, I haven't been there in years, but the last time I was there, probably, I was there for a funeral this last year, that's not true, but when I last time was downtown Portsmouth, it used to be a city of 100,000 people, and there's probably 8,000 people that live in downtown Portsmouth. And maybe in all of Scioto County, I don't know. It's right there on the river. It's one of those old coal, steel towns that has been killed by regulation and by progress, as they call it. But when you drive around downtown Portsmouth, you will literally see buildings that are caving in on themselves. They're old, dilapidated buildings, and you go, oh. Folks like my parents can drive around and go, I remember when that was. I remember that one was. I remember what that was, and we can see it even in Kentucky, in some of our towns, rural towns that have just fallen apart and fallen out of favor, especially down in eastern Kentucky, with all the coal industry leaving. The point is, when you drive around, you can note in those buildings that are falling down, because they have not been serviced or useful, they have ultimately lost their usefulness. That's what happens to a church. They have no more serviceability to God. In fact, that is the warning in verses 16 and 17. Again, I'm going to be very careful. When we get to chapter 6, he's going to talk about you, individually, are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that is true. But here, contextually, as the pastor of this church, I read verses 16 and 17, referencing you individually, but the larger context is the corporate setting. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Well, The temple of God, how? Well, because the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. This is a direct reference to the fact that he says in verse 9, we are laborers together, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, you can carry it straight through, ye are also God's temple. That's what we as a church are. We are a place where the Spirit of God convenes in our midst. That's what the temple was for. The stability and standing that we should make should ultimately make us always serviceable to God. But may we always be mindful that God wants to use us. We cannot become a church that just looks inwardly. We must be a church that always has our eyes outward to those that we can help. As we consider our serviceability, it comes down to two core actions that we engage in. First, we are serviceable for worship, ye are God's temple. Of course, the temple was the place of worship, and our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost, according to 1 Corinthians 6. Yet, we individually worship in a corporate setting every time we come together. Do you actually come to church mindful of worship? Now, this is the great danger when 10% do 100% of the work. Now, I'm glad I have a list of about 86 different servants in our church, people who serve in some capacity, major or minor, 86. That's a wonderful truth. That's a wonderful blessing to know. But I also know somebody told me we had 245 people in church this morning. When it was 86 people and we had 130, that's great. That's over 50%. It's near 60, almost close to 70%. But when you have 86 and there were 16 who are at home and sick and watching online, 16 families, you add those in, we're near 300. Well, now we only got about 90 out of 300. We're down below 30%. Yikes. What does that mean? It just means as a building, we need to be mindful that we are both worshiping and working together. That's what serviceability means. You can't serve God if you don't first worship God. There's no point in that. There's no usefulness in you. If you're not a worshiper of God, God's going to say, you know what, I I really just use and work through and, and bless in service those who are worshiping me. You're just busy, Martha. You've forgotten the most important thing. And you say, that's right, pastor. That's why I never volunteer for anything on a Sunday morning. What about all those people that have to? Because you don't. No. Oh. Well, it's a big church. I'm sure there's plenty of people. And if everybody thinks that. <laughs> I'm thankful for those who are able and willing. I'm thankful for those who are worshipers. When we come into this place in worship, with a heart of worship, it means that we sing from our heart. Yeah, but, you know, Zach picks a lot of them. Me. I mean, he sometimes will stand up and say, Is that a new one to you? Well, then, sing the new one, the best you can. It doesn't matter, right? Edward likes it. I just can't wait till I find my big hit on YouTube. That's my moment right there—six million views. We might monetize that one. When you sing, sing from the heart. Well, I don't have a really good voice. Who cares? If everybody is singing from their heart, you're not gonna, nobody's going to hear your voice anyway. When you pray, when you listen, when you consume the Word of God together in worship, you will make the corporate worship appealing to yourself and to any other soul that God gifts to us and brings in on a Sunday morning. You've ever walked in a dead church? You know it. Oh. This place. Every time someone moves, uh, Josh and Coral, it was their last service with us this morning. I married them last March. Uh, it was their last service. They're moving down to North Carolina for at least three years, probably five. And so, as they're moving off uh, uh, in his engineering job for Toyota, they said goodbye to me this morning. And I, he said, and I told him, I said, when I get in the office tomorrow, send me your address. I'll look. I mean, not only are they members here and, and we love them, but They also are people I married. i got to watch out for them on two fronts. But I'm not in Raleigh, North Carolina. I can't tell them where a good church, or Greensboro, where they're going to. I can't tell them where a great church is, or a good church is, or what dead church to avoid. And any of you that have moved around or been in different locations across the country, or tried to find good churches in a hometown that you lived in, it can be hard. You understand what I mean, then, the serviceability of coming ready to worship. Put aside the distractions. Let me tell you something. The devil and your flesh and your kids, who are devilishly in the flesh, a lot of times on the way to church, they know how to make sure you don't walk in here. By the way, that's, all, that's why all the empty nesters, horizons, and prime timers look and smile at all of us. and are like, come on, Johnny, shut up, get in church, get in. They're looking, going, man, we just barely made it through that stage ourselves. But you come into this place ready to worship. That's the goal. That's the objective. Now, if I can, and this isn't necessarily to us, but you might find yourself for a season or a reason to be at home, but I would say to those that are watching at home, one of the best things that those who are homebound can do is pray that there is a spirit of worship every service in this place. That's the most need. I, I've asked often, Pastor, what is it we can do or what, what, what do you need? And that's it. If you're at home, that's what we need. The second thing to make us serviceable is work. Now I've alluded to that or I spilled over into it in some of the conversation already. It's what happens when I don't have formal notes. The focus of 1 Corinthians 3 of the church building is the serviceability of that building to work. Work is not the primary objective of the church or the body. It is first to worship. But once we have a heart of worship, we then need to have hands that do the work. I'm reminded of that old hymn, To the Work. To the work, we are soldiers of Christ, or however, that might be the second stanza. Whatever the first stanza is, you can help me afterwards. Zach will teach it to us and it will be new. The work is done within the building of God's church in 1 Corinthians 3. Within that building, and I don't mean building it or growing it, I mean within the actual structure of the building spiritually. The best work that a believer can do is under or within the auspices of the church itself. I don't mean to say it's the only place you can do Christian ministry. Of course that's not true. I hope and pray that each of you takes your faith out and with good serving hands, serves your community, wherever that is. One of my favorites is Brother Dewey. He always is working with Habitat for Humanity. He's always helping on those houses. Isn't he, Miss Debbie? Always. Well, he's got time. He's retired, right? That's the beauty of the retirement. The point is, he understands that the work doesn't only have to be done through the church, he can do it in other places, but Brother Dewey and Miss Debbie serve wonderfully well within the church. So our primary focus, or at least the beginning of work for the Lord that is serviceable to Him, has to start within the body, within the building itself. If Christ shed His blood for the church, and He did according to Acts 20 and verse 28, then the church and serving here ought to be our main focus of work and ministry. Now, how many brought this back tonight? See, it's more teaching and edifying. Who brought this back tonight? Hold it up for me. One, two, three. And one is a newest member. Hallelujah. You know what? I had a teenage boy bring it in, big not teenage, tall, big Levi. He came in and he said, hey Pastor. Yes, Levi. I think that kid's gonna end up like eight foot three. But anyway, he said, what do I do with this? I'm like, oh, hallelujah. I mean, this isn't his. His is out there. Last week in the preaching at the end, we probably ran out. We have more out there. I asked you to fill this out put your name on it and bring it in. You're like, yeah, but that sounded an awful lot like a Marine or army recruiter, man. I it was too close to home for me. I mean, just fill it out and drop the card in the box. It won't mean anything. You just committed yourself. You got three years changing diapers. Good luck. Right? That's what it felt like to some of you. That's not what we're doing. I mean, Pam is, but I'm not doing that. Why did I ask you to do this? One, I want to see the earnest of your intent. I get it. Most of us forgot. I didn't fill mine out. I kind of know mine. Right? But if we're going to do the work, we need to know who and where to place you. Where, to, where we have needs, where we have deficiencies. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4 all give us descriptions of spiritual gifts that are serving gifts. There's other lists in the Bible of signed gifts, but the serving gifts are in those passages. I hope you fill out a spiritual gifts profile. I hope you're willing to put your name on it or put your spouse's name on it. I hope you turn them in. But most importantly, I hope from these messages, or at least tonight's, you understand, I'm not begging you to serve. We have every ministry and every box is checked right now. Well, that means he doesn't need me. Oh, no. I wonder how many are a little tired with their shoulder to the wheel. Or with their hand on the plow, and you have a gift, a talent, a natural ability, and you could do that. Can I tell you the one that Zach has been praying for almost since he got here? And we have two good pianists in he and Sarah, but they got to be the everyday pianists. Now, we have others that play for the Congregational, like Mom and Jessica Noto and some of the others, Melanie. But we really need somebody that can play the piano. Now, if you can't play the piano, it's not like you can go learn it like that. Maybe you have a gift. Maybe you have a natural ability that you've honed. The point is, is that we have needs all over the place. If you were to ask us and come into staff meeting on Monday mornings, you would find they were like, okay, who can we help? Who can we talk to? Who can we find to do? This ministry as an organic ministry has lots of needs, countless needs. Knowing who is gifted for what helps us not put round pegs and square holes. You know how you will burn out in ministry if you're doing something that you're not gifted or have ability in? You'll burn out like that. I remind us then as we close this evening, the building that we have been talking about are the lives, love, and learning we all do together in Christ. It, it's not, I don't want you to leave and go, yeah, he preached about the building and By Thursday of this week, you're like, he was preaching about a building? Are we building a building? We're talking about us, a spiritual building that Christ is building. Christ is the architect and chief cornerstone. I, as the pastor, am presently tasked to be the wise master builder. And you are to make sure that there is both worship and work being done in this corporate temple of Almighty God. The body does the work of carrying the light out into the world. The building does the work of shining the light in the communities around the world. Next week, we'll study the bride and we'll see the love that is known. And the final week in our series, we'll look at being a blessing and see the love that is shown. You as a body are the light. We, as a building, are a light that is to shine in a community. As a bride, we know the love of God, and as a blessing, we show the love of God. That's what we are. That's who we are. And praise God for all the benefits that he gives to us as his local church. Father, I thank you for this evening.